When I was growing up in Louisiana, <laughs> amen. We grew up on, I grew up on a small farm and um, my daddy and my mama had four essentials that we we're going to have to live by. Four essential rules, four essential laws, if you want to call them that. And there are four things that uh, I could talk to him about it, but it wasn't going to change. This is just what we do. This is just who you're going to be. Number one was this. You're going to work. You see, we got cows, we got horses, we got hogs, we got animals, we got dogs. They need to be fed. And guess what? That's your responsibility. You've got a piece of that. And so don't ask me, do you have to do it today? I'll ask you if you need to eat today. <laughs> so that's what you're going to do. Number two, we're going to go to church. We're going to go to church. I didn't know it was an option that you didn't have to go. Somebody forgot to tell me. They sure didn't tell my parents because we did Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Didn't matter what I said. Didn't matter what I do. You're going. So we went to church. The third one, maybe this is a little unusual for some of you today, but uh, when I was, I believe, 11 years old, uh, my dad gave me a 22 gun rifle. And um, we went through some safety training, and there were some very clear laws that were laid out about that gun. There's only places that I could shoot, where I could shoot it, and uh, nobody else was to touch that gun. Nobody else was to use that gun. Do you understand? If not, you're going to lose a gun, and you're going to get something called a whooping. All right? <laughs> and then the fourth one was, tell the truth. Can I tell you the worst whoopings I ever received were for not telling the truth. My dad made sure that I knew that no matter what, you were going to greatly wish you had not told a lie to me than anything else. Whatever else you think you're going to get out of, I promise you, it's going to be worse if you lie to me. So you're going to tell the truth. We live in a world today that's struggling with that aspect, with the truth. When we talk about the essentials of our life, what are the essentials that God Almighty has put before us? First of all, to know him in salvation, and secondly, to grow with him in our sanctification. So what are the essentials of Christianity? If somebody asks you today, what are the essentials? What do I have to know? What do I have to believe? What is it that I have to do? What are the must? What are uh, the mandatories? What are the essentials of the faith? And I want to share those today. And some of you sitting out there and thinking, I already know them. I, you told me before. All right, stand up and share them. <laughs> Go ahead, just stand up. Okay. All right, sounds like we need a review. If these are essentials, then I want to make sure you know them. Don't give some stupid answer like, oh, you're a Christian. Yeah, I believe in God. Well, so do the demons, and they tremble at the sound of his name. It's not just I believe. By the way, when you use that word believe, I hope you know this. I've said this before, but probably not quite enough. When you believe in something, it's not mental acknowledgement. When I tell my son or daughter I believe in them, I'm not just saying, buddy, honey, I believe you exist. I just want you to know that. I just want you to know I believe you exist here. When I tell my wife I believe you, I'm not saying... I believe in your existence. It's not what I'm saying. When I say I believe in my son, when I say I believe in my daughter, if I say I believe in my wife, that means I trust them and my hope and my faith is in them. I am fully committed. 
That is the word pisteo in the Greek when we see John 3, 16. Whosoever should believe, whoever should transfer their trust, whoever is totally committed. In other words, it's like this. Uh, One time, and only one time in my life, I know some of these guys have done multiple times, uh, I jumped out of an airplane uh, with a parachute. And guess what? I had faith, I believed, not just that it existed, but that it would open up and that it would ultimately save my life as I hit the ground. All right, that's transferring your trust. All right? So, when we talk about essentials, when we talk about believing, that's what I'm talking about when you hear me say the word believe. Now, in a world where truth is at a deficit, where truth is maligned, where a lot of people make up their own truth. Let me just give you a a little picture of how our world has become this and how a lot of people just kind of say, okay, I want to show you a picture. There's a picture I want to put up here and I want you to tell me what this picture is when it appears on camera. What do you think that is? Okay. A lion. That's right, a lion. So in the people's, uh, at the People's Park in China, this was put in the lion's cage. <laughs> show, show me another picture. It's a Tibetan mastiff. How many of you look at that and think that's a lion? You might, and from a distance you might. And a lot of people, they kind of had this dog in the background. It's kind of dark, they kind of dim lights, and it said lion. And kids were going through there, maybe for the first time. There's a lion. Seems like I've seen a lion around in our neighborhood somewhere. <laughs> and thousands of people went through and just kind of cocked their head and said, look at that lion. See there, Johnny? See there? But then some people started saying, that ain't a lion. Because I've seen a lion. I know what lions look like. And that ain't one of them. This is a lion. This dog weighs about 125 pounds. This cat weighs 450 pounds. They're a lot bigger. That's a full-grown Tibetan Mastiff. A few people got together and said, hey, we know that's not a lion. And they began to complain, and they went to the management, and they went public. And what they found is a lot of people said, well, I mean, it kind of looked like one, and I don't know. I just didn't know. Some other people said, well, it wasn't that big a deal. Who cares? You know, we're just trying to... Do something for the kids. Some other people said, no, we want our kids to see a lion. If we pay for a lion, we want to see a lion. And we think it's important. We don't want our kids deceived into thinking a dog is a lion. And we live in a world that I think sometimes puts on a facade and rolls it out and calls it a lion when it's a dog. Puts on a facade, dresses it up and says, this is truth. And some people go, well, you know, well, it's okay. Can I tell you, as believers in Christ Jesus, we must stand for truth. And God is truth. And so as we look at these essentials, I want to make sure we understand them and know them. It's an imperative of our faith. These are the imperatives of being a Christian. You can't say, I don't believe and say, I'm a Christian. Well, I don't believe that, but I'm a Christian. No, you're not. Not according to scripture. So what are they? Well, first of all, we have to understand this creation. In the beginning, God. That God is the creator and sustainer of all life. Now, in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about proof of the existence of God. But today, just take me at my word and take the Bible at its word. That God is the beginning. He is the creator. All right? Second stage, we have all fallen. 
Scripture clearly teaches the fall of man. And you might say, well, that was Adam. That was Eve. No, it's you. You've chosen to sin. You chose to sin. You choose to sin. You continue to choose to sin. The Bible says that we have all sinned and what? Fallen short of the glory of God. So creation, God, fall, man, you and me, there needed to be a way to cover the fall. You see what happened is God is king and Lord and ruler of all. He owns you, he created you, he designed you, he made you. And you belong to him, but each one of us have gone our own way. We've said, no, God, I'll, I'll be in control of my life. I'll do it myself. I don't need you. Or maybe, God, that's fine. You can be there, but I'm the God of my life. I will decide. I will choose. And because of that affront, because of that treason, if you want to use that word, there had to be what we call redemption. Jesus Christ came and lived the life that you and I should have lived and died the death that we should have died. His death, burial, and resurrection conquered our sin. It paid for our offense. It covered our fall. It covered our sin. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become what? The righteousness of God. And that has done this. It's restored us. Not because of my good deeds, not because of what I've done, but because of what he's done. I am credited with his righteousness and I am restored in right relationship because of Jesus. Because I believe, I've transferred my trust, I am committed to, I am counting on him. As a matter of fact, if it doesn't, it's like me in a parachute. And if the parachute does not pull, if it's not capable of uh, basically, um, what do you call it when a parachute goes off? Deploy. There he goes. A big word. I don't know all those. But deploy. <laughs> it doesn't deploy. I'm in trouble. I put my faith in that parachute and it didn't deploy. Then I die. What's what we're saying? God, I put my faith in you. There are no second options. There is nothing. I'm putting my trust in you. So we remember in the beginning, God created. We have all fallen. But because of Jesus, we're forgiven and restored is the gift of God. It is not anything we could earn nor deserve. That is the big gospel story. And it's important that we understand it. Now, in this church, you've heard this before. There are what we call tenets, teachings, and taste. Tenets, teaching, and taste. Let's start with taste. What are issues of taste? We live in a world and a culture that thinks a lot of times church is a taste, that our Bible is a taste. It's not a taste. Here are what tastes are. What kind of music we did today? That's a taste. Some of you loved it. Some of you going, that's a little too loud for me. Okay, that's a taste issue. It's not a right or wrong. It's a taste issue. Some of you don't like the way I preach. It's a taste issue. Some of you wish I'd wear better clothes. That's a taste. Buy them for me. Uh, that's a taste issue. <laughs> I'm not going to wear a robe, by the way. Just, just you know. You can. <laughs> but it's an issue of taste. Sunday school, small groups, it's a matter of taste. What building, what does your building look like? I don't really like that building. I don't, that's, a, that's a taste issue. Don't let your faith or whatever you call it be driven by your taste. 
And by the way, just to remember this, tastes aren't wrong or right. If Lewis tells me, you know, I love Diet Coke, I go, that stuff is nasty. You can't like that. That does not taste good, Lewis. Yes, it does to me. No, it doesn't. You're wrong. It doesn't taste good. I can't tell him that. I can't tell him that it doesn't taste good to him just because I don't like the taste. Perhaps maybe we should give that same charity and grace to our brothers and sisters in Christ who don't worship like us, who don't speak like us, who don't dress like us. Well, next one is teachings. Another word for doctrine. Uh, You'll see of sound judgment, of sound teaching all through scripture. We'll read it here in just a moment. Those are important. We won't belabor this, but baptism is a teaching and communion is a teaching and these are all important and church leadership and church structure is a teaching. Eschatology that we studied when we started this series off on the second coming of Christ, that's a teaching and they're important and you better have a position, but it doesn't mean that there's some other churches that might not have a different position and it doesn't mean that you're all right and they're all wrong. But it is important that you understand it and it is important that you study to show yourselves approved as workmen that need not be ashamed that can rightly divide the word of truth and you understand your position in Christ and in scripture. And then thirdly, they're the tenets. These are the non-negotiables I was mentioning to you all ago. We talked about the big gospel story, the big story of God, God, man's fall, rest, excuse me, redemption, restoration. These are the four essentials for you to know salvation, for you to know Christ, for you. And when I say believe, believe, transfer your trust, you're putting your hope here. So what are the four? If someone asks you what you believe, I just gave you the big story of the Bible. What do you believe about salvation? How do I come to Christ? You need to know these four. Guess what the first one is? God. You need to believe that there is a God. And the biblical God the Bible that the, the God that the Bible refers to is the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. It's what we call Trinity. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We believe in God. We believe that God willfully and purposefully created us, not by accident, not by happenstance, but intentionally created us. And He is the God of the universe. He is the sustainer and ruler of the universe. So God. Number two, sin. Here's the big, matter of fact, that first, that doctrine of God is called theology. If you want a big word, theo means God, ology means study of. This one is homardiology. It's the study of sin. You have to believe that you're a sinner, that you have sinned, that you need God. Colonel Lewis, I ask you this. How many times have you had guys come and said, um, they come to the program, they go, um, I don't really need this. I'm good. I'm just going to try to add a little bit here, just maybe a little help, but I really don't need this. Uh, I'm good. I've done this myself. I'm taking care of myself. How many guys like that who've come to your program have really transformed? None. None. Zero. If you don't recognize your need, you'll never be transformed. Same is true for us spiritually. If we don't recognize our need for God, this is an essential. I have to recognize that I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that I have put enmity between God and myself. So I have to recognize that my sin is an affront to God and that it breaks, it is broken fellowship with him. And I admit it. I admit it. 
and I repent of it. Which brings us to our third, God, sin, Jesus, Christ. We have to believe that Jesus isn't a way, he's the way. I am the way, truth, and life. No man comes to the Father but through me. Jesus Christ. In the beginning, God created all things, but he created mankind, but of our sin, because of our sin, we've been separated, but Jesus came to live the life like we talked about a while ago that you should have lived. He lived a perfected life, but died the death that you should have died because he took his place on Calvary because the Bible did say there can be no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. So Christ shed his blood once and for all, for all who would believe, transfer my trust to what Christ has done and commit to him. I recognize Jesus, who he is, in my need for him, the death, burial, and resurrection that has covered my sin. And fourthly is this, I do that by faith. It's a gift given to me, it's a grace gift. What Christ did for me, I could never earn or deserve it, but I receive it by faith. Not, I'm gonna add a little Jesus here. I'm gonna add a little God. No, in faith, I surrender. I am putting my whole trust and hope for my eternity in your hands, Jesus. I believe you have the power to save me. I believe you have the power to forgive me. And I put my trust and hope in you. So God, sin, Christ, faith. People might say, well, I don't really think I'm a sinner. Then you're not getting saved. <laughs> people might say, well, it doesn't really have to be Jesus as long as you're sincere. Hey, guess what? There were a lot of people that sincerely thought that dog was a lion. And they were wrong. It went super, looked like one to me. Does it really matter? I mean, as long as we're sincere, and I think those were nice zoo people, and um, I think that dog was very sincere, so does it really matter? And we laugh, but people say that all the time. Faith, we have to believe, we have to commit. Those are the essentials, those are the non-negotiables. Now, what about growing in my faith? What about sanctification that the Holy Spirit comes upon me? Remember, we talked about God as the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. We are, it is essential that the Holy Spirit works in our life for us to grow in faith. They're called spiritual disciplines. And there are three uh, that, the, that the desert fathers, the patristic fathers gave, uh, that really they can all be summed up into three different areas. Uh, if you go back and read Acts chapter 2, you'll see really uh, almost every one of these characteristics being displayed in the old church. But let's go back here. So what are uh, the three? Well, one, there's the purgative. What's the purgative? That is my confession. That is my giving. That is my service. When I first come to Christ, so if you were like me when I was a teenager, uh, when I first came to Christ, I recognized there were a lot of things in my life that needed to be purged needed to be removed. And it was hard. There were things I needed to let go of, things I needed to give up in my life. So I began to purge. Now, a lot of times people get stuck there. Their Christianity becomes, uh, these are the things that they don't do. I don't drink and I don't smoke and I don't date girls that do. And you, you think that's Christianity. That's what I thought when I first came to Christ. Here are all the things I'm not gonna do anymore. And you think that's Christianity, but it's just the first step. It's recognizing, God, I confess my faults. I confess my sins. Lord, I'm willing to give unto you. 
Why is giving considered a, a part of the purgative discipline? Because it causes you to give. It removes from you greed. It removes from you your own control. You're saying, God, I trust you. In service, when I serve, and I serve not for my sake, but for the kingdom's sake. When I start giving when, and serving when nobody else knows it, when I'm not recognized, it's making me more like Christ. It's purging me of my inner self-control, of my desire to be in control of everything and, and to have everything go my way. Then there's the illuminative, the next step. Scripture, when I read scripture through the power of the Holy Spirit, it illumines me. I might not always walk away and go, man, those are some great nuggets. Sometimes it's just the miraculous spirit that changes me as I read the word of God because God, his word plus the spirit, the father plus the spirit, when it interacts within my being, I am transformed. I am being changed. That's the power of God's word. It is illumining my heart and my spirit. When I receive spiritual guidance and I seek uh, spiritual leadership and I speak spiritual connection through koinonia, through doing life and having brothers and sisters of Christ, it illuminates me. It gives me illumination. And thirdly, the unitive. When I pray and I connect with the Father and unite with the Father it is transforming me into the image of Christ. When I stand up and I worship, when I sing songs, when I give praise, when I give God glory, it's the purpose for which I was created. I'm uniting with the very spirit of God himself. Those aren't always in order. Matter of fact, we're always going through those three, purgative, illuminative, and unitive. But it, it is the ground that is plowed so that the spirit will take hold and take root and grow us and sanctify us to be more and more like Jesus. As we think about these imperatives, as we think about these essentials, uh, I want us to look at this one passage briefly this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning with verse 7. In the interest of time, I was going to read another passage, the end of the letter, but you read that on your own. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Now, I'm enamored with this passage because of this. This is the last letter Paul will write. Paul has been sentenced to death. He's in a dungeon. This is probably right around 67, 68 uh, AD. And he, most scholars would agree that he died sometime between 67 and 68 AD. He was beheaded. The death sentence has been given. This is the last letter he will write. These are the last words that he will share. And what does he do? He sends it to his protege, Timothy. And then it's going to be passed around to the other churches. He'd written 1 Timothy about three years earlier. But this is the very last letter. Paul knows the end is near. We see as he says, I'm going to be poured out as a drink, a drink offering. He's fought the good fight. He's fought the faith. And he now is sharing this word that would be uh, really good for us to understand and remember. Uh, the last words of the great apostle Paul who wrote more letters in the New Testament than anyone else. And he says this, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and has called us to a holy calling because of our work. No, not because of our works, but because of his purpose and grace. And he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. 
which now has been manifested through the appearing of Christ Jesus, our Savior. Do you see, you see the gospel there? It says that he who saved us and called us to the sanctified life, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose, because of his grace, which he gave to Christ Jesus before the ages. And in verse 10, as we continue here, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ to abolish death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. In other words, how are we transformed? How are we saved? Through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. Continuing, which is why I suffer as I do but I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed and I am convinced and able to guard until that day which is he, he has entrusted me. Some of you, Colonel Lewis, some of you might remember that old hymn. But I know whom I had believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I committed unto him against that day. That's where this came from. That's the hymn right there. That's the word. These are the, this is the last letter of Paul. And he says, look, I want you to know that. I know whom you believe, you know who I believe. I'm convinced that he is able to guard until the day he will come. Will guard, and matter of fact, he encourages Timothy, guard the word of God, guard the gospel, because people are gonna come in and say, that's not necessary, people are gonna come in, they're gonna add other things, they're gonna try to make a false gospel. They're gonna try to do uh, what sometimes we look, we look at and we see a prosperity gospel, or they're gonna try to, convince you of a you can do it yourself gospel they're going to try to tell you moralism if you'll just be a good person that'll be enough the gospel of sincerity it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere he said guard it don't let it be compromised follow the pattern of sound words that's where we get our teachings doctrine that you heard from me in the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. That's what I want you to do. We're not going to read it, but if you went to 2 Timothy chapter 4, the very last chapter, the very last letter that Paul wrote, um, he'll say, you know what? Timothy, understand this. As time goes on and it gets closer to, to the coming of Christ, here's what's going to happen. People are going to have itching ears and they're going to want to be, they're going to want to hear myths and literally the word is fables. They're gonna wanna hear stories that make them feel good, that let them stay and do whatever they want and just add a little Jesus. And he said, I want you to guard it. I want you to proclaim it. I want you to suffer for it. Literally, he tells him all three of those things throughout the temple. I want you to guard it. I want you to suffer for it. And I want you to proclaim it because this is the essential gospel, the essential word of God. Do you know it? Let me close with this. So I mentioned to you, we had four um, imperatives, four essentials at my house. And I mentioned to you, one of them was uh, when my dad gave me a gun. He, we lived out in the woods. He said, look, these are the woods you can shoot in. Here's the pond out here, you can shoot it. And you just let your grandmother or your mother or me one know, just tell them you're going out there. And remember, nobody else touches your gun. Nobody else shoots your gun. You are responsible. You are responsible. There's no excuse. You keep it, and you keep it in your control, and then you bring it back. I remember my cousin Kelly from Longview, Texas, comes in. And he's staying out at my grandma's for a while. 
And I did what we did when we were 11 or 12 years old. Um, you, probably want, you probably went out and played basketball. You probably watched TV, whatever. Uh, I, we went out and shot snakes. And so I went out to the pond to shoot water moccasins. So I'm out there shooting snakes. My cousin Kelly goes, let, let me see that gun. I said, all right, see it? He goes, let me shoot it. I go, nope. Come on, let me shoot you. I said, I can't. Because my mom and daddy told me I can't let anybody else shoot my gun. He goes, he goes it don't matter what they say. How are they ever going to know? Just, just let me shoot it. Nope. Go up to grandma and ask her for her gun. <laughs> I don't want to shoot grandma's gun. It makes my shoulder hurt. <laughs> I said, uh, well, I can't let you shoot this gun. My daddy told me. My mama told me, this is the rule. This is essential. He got mad, and he goes off, and he tells his mama, my Aunt Edna, who still lives in Longview, and she comes back, she goes, she comes, she yells at me across the field. She goes, Ron, let Kelly have that gun. Let him shoot that gun. I said, no, ma'am. <laughs> what? And she's getting closer. She walked up. You better let him shoot that gun. I said, it's okay. I said, my daddy said it ain't okay. She said, you better let him shoot that gun right now. You're going to be in trouble. I'd be in more trouble if I let him shoot this gun. So finally, I just walked the other way. I walked on into the woods. I wasn't going to fight. I wasn't going to get in trouble. I knew whatever, uh, whatever she was going to do, it wasn't going to be near what my daddy would do. So my dad came in, he got off work, he came in about four or five hours later, and my, my aunt Ed and my cousin Kelly are telling on me. Look, we told him to let him shoot that gun, and he didn't listen to me, and he walked off in the wood with those guns. He goes, well, that's what he's supposed to do. She said, what? I told him, nobody touches or shoots your gun, ever, nobody. So he did what I told him. He looked at me, son, he goes, good job. You can go out and play. <laughs> you know what? Spiritually, there's always a father that's saying, it don't matter. It's okay. You don't have to listen to that. You don't have to obey that. Just do your own thing. It's okay. You see, there's a father of darkness. Jesus is light. There's a father of lies. That's what the Bible calls him. But Jesus, our God and Savior, is the father of truth. Don't let Somebody tell you, you don't have to believe that. You don't have to commit to that. It doesn't matter. God says, no, there's some essentials and you will do it my way, not your way. I will be the God. You will be the follower. Which father will you hear today? Father in heaven, we thank you that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. Lord, we thank you for the immense blessing that you've given us through salvation, through the blood of Christ, that he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Lord, I thank you for my brothers here today in the men of Nehemiah. Thank you, God, for how you've reached down and transformed their lives. If they recognize there is a God and I'm a sinner, but Jesus Christ forgives me and he restores me into a right relationship with God today and for eternity. So Lord, we give you blessings. We give you honor. We give you praise. We give you thanksgiving for all that you've done. And Lord, if there's one that doesn't know you today, I pray that you would draw them by the power of your Holy Spirit to know you in salvation and in faith. In your name we pray, dear Jesus, amen.